Hi everyone and welcome to Autism Neurodiversity Coaching's Neurodiverse Universe podcast with myself Ben Holmes, Autism and Neurodiversity Coaching. Today's guest is Marcia Brissett-Bailey who is a Neurodiverse thought leader and author so welcome Marcia. Thank you. Uh, It's great to have you. So as I always do I will go through a list of questions uh, and then we'll sort of take it from there see where it it takes us. Um, So Starting off with um, talking about dyslexia, uh, obviously we'll go into more detail on that. So when were you actually, if you were, when were you actually diagnosed as, as being dyslexic? I was diagnosed when I was, I would say it was about 16. So I'd left school and went on to college. Um, and it was then that I was diagnosed. Um, how it really happened is I was retaking my GCSEs because I only came out of one GCSE um, when I left school. Um, when I say one GCSE, I passed other GCSEs, but not your A to C grades, which is what was the standard. You know, your A to C is what you get marked on. So I literally, secondary school was a bit of a blur. I sat there at exam papers, um, knew a lot of things, but didn't understand. I wasn't taught that process to how to even get to that point of exams. Um, so anyway, moving fast forward, um, when I was retaking my GCSEs, um, I, I was doing government politics, English, English literature, and a few other subjects to make it a whole kind of um, unit of courses. Um, and it was my government politics teacher what said to me, you know, Marcia, I mean, when you're speaking, you can get an A every time, but I just don't, it's not quite getting together when you put it on the paper. I could have told him that. I knew that, but I was trying my hardest because I wanted to learn. I wanted to achieve um, something that was really embedded in me from when I was at primary school when my teacher told my parents that I was never going to academically achieve. So something, I didn't go, you could go one way or the other, and I went the way where I want to prove, and I, I had hope and sort of belief. So anyway, the teacher said that, you know, you know there's, there's something you know, we're going we're gonna to look at this, I'm going to send you to do an assessment. And it was then that I met a lady who um, just kind of, I would say, saved my life, really. Um, when she said, yeah, I can see something's happening here. We're going to get you to go to an educational psychologist, which I didn't know what an educational psychologist was, to be honest, really understood that. And um, yeah, it came out that I was dyslexic. And for me, it was a relief. You know, if you inhale, and you breathe out I just thought you know and this is a classic for a lot of people I just didn't feel I was no longer stupid because that's how I felt in the system I felt the system didn't wasn't designed for me it didn't help me to feel that I belonged I selectively muted at school because I didn't want to read so I thought if I was invisible that was the way to do it not to speak so for me, it was a really traumatic time because I love school, but school just didn't love me. So when I had that diagnosis, for me, it was a relief. And it was a relief in telling me I was good enough. And, it, um, you know, Jenny really helped me to find the strategies and some of the tools that I developed further in my life to realise that it was my dyslexia, the way I saw the world that was also a strength for me, but also there were some disadvantages because of the world we lived in was very linear and rope way, and it didn't fit into the way I lived. So I hope I answered that question. I, I went around the houses, but we got there, right? <laughs> no, 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 that's absolutely fine. Um, like I say, it's not the fear on that at all. So yeah, it, I think that does clearly explain it. Um, 
I mean, the next, I don't know if you quite answer this one, if you have, that's fine. But in terms of what did the diagnosis mean to you? Is anything you want to add on that other than what you've you've already said, I guess? It, it, it meant to me that, as I said, I wasn't stupid. It meant to me that there was something behind all of the things I was feeling all belong all, all along that I did feel different I did feel but the difference why I was feeling it because the structures and the systems made me feel different but with that said there was something to why I was finding it challenging and I was having to jump hurdles and anything else along the way to be able to get on in the system that I was meant to be nurtured in and to to find my potential and to find who I really was I didn't quite get that bit all I was getting was that it's not good enough here's another red mark for you to fill in that bit let's repeat that bit because you didn't miss that you missed out a line so for me it just it gave me hope and it gave me purpose yeah yeah no does that make sense yeah of course it does makes complete (laughs) and um Again, similar sort of question, but how did knowing you were dyslexic change your life? So more so in how you view things, beliefs, etc. Is anything? Yeah, no. There's a lot of things actually. I mean, one of the things I did do was that I disclosed it everywhere and anywhere. Oh, I'm dyslexic, and I think for me, I'm going back. I'm a, I'm a bit old. <laughs> no, I'm not saying I'm old. I'm not putting an age to myself, but we're talking about the um, late 80s, 90s. And it was like, why are you saying that? Why are you saying you're dyslexic? You know, you're getting on really good. You're, you're, you know, you're doing really well. Why do you have to sit? Why do you have to put on that extra bit that you're dyslexic? You don't need it. You know, why are you saying that? And for me, it was a liberating thing because there was something to the way I thought, the way I was thinking. We call it dyslexia thinking now, or, you know, people like to add on neurodiverse thinking. But the point remained is that there was something to the way I was showing up in the world and also that those can be strengths and I had to do a lot of things I'm telling you I mean people might identify with this we have that the imposter syndrome the um, sabotage listen I've been through all of that I've been all of that and that's because I feel that the system um, didn't make me feel like I belong so I it's a system what created those kinds of um you know self-esteem feeling not you know not feeling worthy of something and that those can trigger right into your adulthood so I was carrying those traumas for sure and I had to start to unstrip some of those layers so what I'm guess I'm saying is that I found some of my strengths but along the way I had to do a lot of work like you said you do one-to-one and support I had to do a lot of self-development work to be able to become my authentic self and be my true person because when you're masking or covering things and you're having to overcompensate, you don't know who you really are sometimes. Is this me or is this somebody else? Who is this? And you're having to kind of have a battle and a conversation with yourself because you don't know which one is really you because you've been having to kind of mask this all along because if you start saying to people the way you think or I see in pictures and before I see the words or I sort of see the words and then I see a picture... You know, people started to question, what is that? Because we don't talk about those kind of amazing, talented ways of viewing the world. It takes all different types of people to show up in the world and be part of the world to create, you know, this biodiversity, what we have. So for me, 
it was finding myself and having to love myself. Yeah. Because, no. yeah, go on, sorry. Yeah. No, I was going to say that that makes a lot of sense. I think that a lot of people would resonate with that definitely uh, with the whole masking thing, imposter syndrome and accepting yourself, loving yourself. Um, it's very important. Well, it's critical, isn't it? To yeah. Um and it doesn't yeah. always feel that there's a space there. So when we we're we, we, we're saying we're going to do all these assessments for people who are neurodiverse, even though different assessments have different access points and accessibility, we're not even going to start talking about cost and all these kind of things, but the access points. And for some people, you know, if you don't have those kind of um, creative ways of being able to show up in the education system, what's it like in the workplace? Yeah. And I I feel like what's happened to me from school I can identify so many of the structures that are just not flexible in in terms of how we can be our authentic self I use authentic unique however you want to say it because we it never come it always comes from a a negative place rather than the the strengths and how you can be your best self and be good for business in the way that you think does that make sense it does yeah but it's definitely for me, I think one of the biggest things and the takeaways that I had to invest a lot of time was about loving myself. And that may seem all a bit airy-fairy, but what I mean is that is to be able to look in the mirror almost and just say I'm worth it and I'm worthy because you get some a lot of negative knockbacks because of the way the system, yeah, is set up and designed. And yeah by us talking and by us doing the things we're doing, hopefully we're breaking some barriers down. And that's why I'm here today, because I want to, like yourself, you know, change some of that narrative and empower people to be able to find their voice and actually say, this is me. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Um, well, I say it's, it's not going to be done in one day, but the more of us that speak up about these things and work together and educate people who don't know about it, the better and it's it's only going to help moving forward I mean, it's, I think we're still a long way off where we need to be but compared to even a couple of years ago I've seen a massive change in the last two years um, let alone anything else so yeah I think we're moving in the right direction it's just continuing with it and it starts from like you say um, understanding yourself and accepting yourself and then you can then help others as, as a result of that, I think. Yeah, but it needs a lot of work because I'm talking going back to, you know, being at school, you know, yeah. what does that look like? And, you know, there's a lot of undiagnosed and misunderstood, a lot of exclusions and permanent exclusions. And there's a lot of that. And so how do you, you know, all of those children are going to grow up. So what are we doing? Yeah. That's my that's my bit of wanting to make change. Those young people are going to grow up, and you're going to grow up having people who are traumatized. How does that show up? Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, I obviously I got diagnosed later in life, so I went through the education system completely undiagnosed and not supported in that sense. And I, when I speak to people being diagnosed at school and later in life I think there's a lot of similarities but there are I find there's some some differences as well just in um your journey as such and I, I mean I've I still think the education system in general is not nowhere near where it needs to be still um I, well I know it's definitely better than what it was but that doesn't mean it's 
it's where it needs to be, which obviously, in my opinion, it definitely isn't. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I just think of myself with some of my struggles like dyspraxia and stuff at school where I, I was quite clever. So I didn't struggle as much as I should have done. Like when I was in technology, I'd get other people to do my work for me because I, I couldn't physically do it. So had I not done that, um, figured out a way how to do that, then I'd have probably been labelled stupid or whatever. So uh, I still was in some, with some things, but I sort of found a way around it. But mm. the amount of people that won't be able to do that, so whether it's dyslexia, whether it's anything, reading challenges or, or whatever, um, that's still going to be there and there needs to be more support and it still needs to be looked at and addressed. And I know there's more awareness, but it's still, as I say, not where it needs to be. There's ac the acceptance, I don't think, is still there generally. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, how do you get a young person to feel they, they, you know, they're, they're worthy and that they are good enough? You know, say, for example, your dyspraxia. I don't know your, we're not going to go into age groups, right? But, you know, you know, the good old license pens that you get for your handwriting. How does that exclude somebody who really has challenges with handwriting that their dyspraxia? I mean, I constantly... Um, was writing small that was a lot of work I used to have strains on my hand because I didn't want the teacher to see my spelling so I wrote really small you need the microphone you know I was clever I was writing small but this is all part of the invisibleness yeah you see what I mean and we're still getting children masking in that way how do we bring joy to school to bring it you know so for me even though we're not talking about children we know those children grow up because we hear the adult stories we hear adults who get diagnosed later on and lots of people got diagnosed during lockdown as well when they realized something my concentration this is not because they were able to do it in a workplace where they had breaks they did different things and people realized there was lots of things happening for them that they never noticed before as well as the, you know the traumas of lockdown and stuff like that so there's different sides to it and we've got some of those adults who have almost not forgiven the system and are angry yeah definitely yeah, yeah. definitely um no, I agree. Um, so when you found out you was dyslexic, what was the response from like your friends, family? Did was there any sort of particular response? I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna say something and I hope you can understand where I'm coming from. There's an intersectionality piece in this, which I mean when an intersectionality where you know you can look at, you know, class, environment, education, you know gender yeah. all these kinds of things race um as I didn't mention I'm a black woman and I'm dyslexic you know even that saying that at one point it's like really you're dyslexic like people don't believe you like I'm making it up like I can't be black and dyslexic yeah I can yeah. these intersectionalities can have an impact on you as well so not only so why I'm saying that so say for example my parents as working class black parents Caribbean descent um grew up most of this their childhood here but still some of those things they were never aware of so me saying I was dyslexic is like what is that it's something we weren't aware of and yeah. anything where you seem to have something that's a bit different means that you there could be stigmas to that so my parents one of the things I'll say about my parents and I I just love them dearly for that is that they gave me unconditional love. So I'm going back to this love thing. So there wasn't the pressure to achieve academically. It was always about finding what you love and working your best and making sure you show up and being yeah. your best, 
always having good manners, being respectful. So all of those things was able to save me because it was all about organizing, being obedient. So I work, which is what school system is about, like following the rules, right? So that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to achieve and be the best, you know, pupil in the class. But the only problem was that I wasn't doing the reading bit and the writing bit well. But my parents, that's what they gave me. So when I'm talking about that intersectional bit, you know, I feel, you know, I don't want to, I don't quite highly that I was expected to be a statistic as a young black girl growing up in East London. And yeah. so this can impact young white boys, <laughs> you know, depending on the class, the, the social, economical factors. Do you see what I mean? So for me, I think my parents just was trying their best, but they didn't know the education system. So I don't feel they failed me because they tried their best with what they knew. But um, what they knew and their, the understanding of education, they trusted the system. So all I can say to you with the diagnosis, I said it to them, but it just sort of, it was like, okay. And then when my teacher said I was not good at academic, they linked it to that, she's a bit slow. And not that they didn't, care and love me but they just accepted that that meant that I'm not, I'm not that bright or that's but no matter what they would support me and they never pressurized me and that for me was a key um, indicator from the, the direction I took does that make sense in terms of my family and things like that I never really spoke to spoke about it um, really I think they knew things because my parents might have said but you know, children and adults at the time when I was growing up, you don't have those discussions together. So I don't know. But one of the things I would say to you, and I didn't say that before, when my mum, when I was 10 and she felt I was still not able to read, she went to the school. In those days, you could go to the school and knock on the headmaster's door or the headmistress, shall I say, let me politically be correct, but my teach, my head, I had a headmaster. And she went in there saying, my daughter, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And she was fighting for me. I know she was fighting. I was like having my head down like this. Because remember, I was selectively muting anyway and wasn't really talking. And they did some therapy. They did some um, tests on me and everything. And then they put me to psychotherapy. And it's quite common. What they were suggesting later on in life when I spoke to my mum is that they were saying something was happening at home while I was having an impact on my speaking and not talking. And this happens to some children that there's an assumption that something's happening more than you know like and it's having an impact on me but school was having an impact on me so I just want to add that so my parents did a lot to support me and they just nurtured me and made me feel safe and I know not everyone has that experience so I was fortunate on that that side but from the intersectionality side in terms of my parents working class and that they just trusted the system and um, didn't know anything more they could do from their cultural lens of just trying to show up because they came from a time when things were really hard for sometimes black people showing up and you know from from gender race working class we've all got those kind of oppressions or um, yeah so that also will depend on how you show up so your environment you come from where you come from I come from those sometimes have have um, barriers so those systematic barriers will show up does does that make sense so I know I'm not answering the question but we I think we we've been spoken before we're on the sort of same page you come from sometimes there will there will be barriers to assumptions being made about your how you you show up and maybe you got missed because of those those intersectionalities of you being a young you know white guy going living where you lived do you see what I mean you may yeah. your environment these will sometimes have an impact is what I'm saying 
Yeah, no, 100%. No, I do completely get that. And I, th I think it's very, very important to bring up. I mean, I'm just thinking amongst all that as well, like just <laughs> imagining being, in, I mean, I think where we're on the UK, it's, I, I don't know this for facts, I've not been in other countries to this degree, but I would imagine we're one of the most, I think we're the possibly the most advanced country for neurodiversity and mental health. Uh, I mean, I look at America, I feel, might be wrong, I feel like America's behind us on the autism side of it, my opinion, um, in terms of knowledge. Then I look at other countries, I mean, third world countries and also, I mean, just, they might not even heard of some of these things, um, dyspraxia, whatever, let alone understand them. They're, they're so, and I think it's very important where you upbring and everything else, I think that has a massive impact on how you're perceived and, and everything else. Um yeah. So yeah, I definitely agree with that. I mean, I look at me with, um, because I was undiagnosed at school for everything I've got, um, I didn't fit the typical ADHD profile of, obviously, uh, I was white, I was male, but I wasn't disruptive in class. I wasn't seen as naughty. Um, I could be sometimes outside of school to a degree, but not really inside of school at all. Um, you know, I'm respectful and all that sort of stuff. So I, there's yeah. no way I caught in that ADHD net at school um I wasn't caught in the autism net because I had social skills <laughs> so did that oh he can't be autistic so um a dyspraxia no one mentioned dyspraxia at all ever as it didn't exist in, in anyone's thinking so there's no way I would have been diagnosed with that um and then in, even with anxiety it wasn't that long ago I was at school well was it 20 odd years which is a long time I guess but um <laughs> Um, I was going to say, yeah, with anxiety, even then anxiety wasn't, at least in my school, it wasn't, I never heard anyone mention anxiety or even recognise it as an acceptable thing. It was only probably, in my opinion, about, it was when my sister was at school, she's 12 years younger than me. It was only when she got to teenage stage, it was about 10 years ago or less than that, where it seemed to be more acceptable for someone to have anxiety and talk about it. And even then it still wasn't great. So yeah, I think there's all these different factors coming in. Yeah. Uh, obviously where, where you're in East London, so obviously that will have a different, completely different aspect to it to where I'm from, uh, whether it's positive, negative or anywhere in between. So yeah. Because some people get missed and some people, and I will say uh, for sure from a social economical factor, people get missed because we yeah. always get the, the, you know, the the side of funding. We don't have the funding where some people are privileged to be able to, okay, so-and-so's, something's coming on. We're going to pay for an educational, we're going to look into this. So it do, money does come into it about whether yeah. we can get diagnosed. And and that's why I said the our education and the environment sometimes will have that impact on us so when we talk about neurodiversity and you know I talk about neurodiversity in race I talk about neurodiversity in gender whatever showing up for you it, it, it may have an impact alongside your neurodiversity so when I when I was diagnosed yes I did and I didn't say this yes I thought oh my gosh okay so I'm black I'm a woman so there's other there's a glass ceiling and there's this you know thing you know I've always been hearing about black being negative and then oh okay so I'm dyslexic that's three things are you having a laugh do you know what I mean you know like you know what else are you gonna give to me but the resilience in me is 
push is about pushing because that's how I grew up you grow up tough love you just get on with it but it was a moment when I thought this is a lot of stuff here you know and how am I going to get through it but these are some of the factors and you know some people just it 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 will be different so I can't speak for every black dyslexic I cannot because of all of these factors what is your you know your environment what you've been exposed to your experiences your education whether it's private mainstream it's going to be different for every person that's what's I think hard I think for systems to be able to grasp that we are authentically yeah. unique and it's going to be different because of all these other intersections as well yeah. we've got commonalities and we can we, we, there's a lot of things we will say yeah 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 and there's a lot of things we'll say no that, that didn't happen to me I didn't yeah. have the experience I didn't walk down the road and someone called me a name because of this or because of the color of my skin it's going to be different but we we get some we get some things even if we don't have the same experience because we have commonalities that makes us feel different mm-hmm. you know you know when you call the word alien I used to think oh yeah I, I fit into that bracket and we could both think about that whether we've come from different environments because that's how we've we were made to feel in a system that didn't quite make us fit. But it's interesting because you say, you know, you were missed a lot. Um, it was, and it, this, this is what happens for some of us, depending on how we show up and what, how people perceive you because you didn't misbehave or throw a chair. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. Um, I do think the race thing is definitely something should be talking about because, well, you'll know more than me about this probably, but like, um, obviously there's still a perceived thing that if you're black, you can't be, like you said, dyslexic, or you probably, you can't be autistic or whatever, because you can only be white and male if you're autistic, like things like that. Or ADHD, because girls have only really come into the picture how long now, you know, like to be diagnosed, because all the assessments and the science behind it's been based on boys, young boys. Hmm. So yep. if you don't put rows and a row of cars in a line, well, that you can't be autistic. Do you know what I mean? So we're now, I think things are changing. People having those honest, there's still a lot of science behind it. Like me and you might not know, I'm making an assumption, but the whole sum of the science. But what we do know is that we've got the lived experience and no mm-hmm. one can take that away with us. And that's just as valuable. We need both, don't we? We need the science, but we also need the lived experience. You need to start listening to people's lived experience and how they're feeling. And that's why we're here today on the podcast because we we matter and our our lived experience does matter and people need to hear it (laughs) definitely 100% 100%. but yeah the race you know the race thing is yes I I, you know I did tell you earlier that I wrote a book about you know being black and and dyslexic because I think that narrative we don't hear about it if we if I'm you know to be my own experience all the publications with some of the sort of national bodies and stuff like that it never represented me and when I was talking about things and about my experiences no one could relate and it was like I I definitely felt like an alien and so the book that I wrote which is called Black Brilliant and Dyslexic really is just based on having 25 voices talking about their experience and yes black people do have dyslexia and I have you know I have had some people not want to post it because it's it's almost like why are you talking about black and dyslexic and people don't really understand the intersection as we said in the social economic all these things can have an impact and those stories are not heard they're important too I never had no representation of anybody I didn't even I just thought maybe I was the only black person that had dyslexia growing up do you know what I mean so we need to have a balance even though we're a small percentage in the UK there still needs to be some voices and having that diversity mm-hmm. so we ha- we can get some data and some statistics 
because we're all sharing a commonality, but we're we're sometimes having it from just a Eurocentric lens. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. It does. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I could talk for England, so I'm so sorry if I've gone off on the questions. No, no, <laughs> sorry, no, no, Ben. No, no. no, this is why I like doing this podcast because although I have a list of questions to go through, we get a different answers. We go on different tangents, which is good because. If it was the same every time, then it'd be boring, wouldn't it? So it's <laughs> that's how we roll. That's how we roll. You know, I like a list, I like a structure, but then somehow sometimes I sort of go off a bit and like I have lots of ideas. I think my neurodiversity, that's why I say elements of it's definitely ADHD. Like I'm somebody who sees the picture, I see the end product, and then I have to go back because nobody's with me. <laughs> I'm like, I was on my own kind of thing. I was like, <laughs> and so it's got some strengths because you see big pictures big ideas but then you've got to bring everyone with you because they're still on the foundation or reading the instructions and I'm I don't even read the instructions I've <laughs> I've gone off and doing my own thing and like you know you've got to bring people back because they just think you're weird so I've always felt a bit quirky like that but I realize it's a strength as well <laughs> yeah sometimes you see yeah you see the end and then you think well, I've, got to, I've then got to go back and explain this from the start <laughs> product, sort of thing or oh, so you, you do it as well okay I'm not <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah definitely um i do i've got many projects and i do the exact same thing with oh yeah <laughs> pros and cons like i mean one of the projects i have i can see how big it could be it could be absolutely massive and i can see the end <laughs> like, exactly that but then it's like oh right, i've got to start from the bottom here and work the way. <laughs> oh yeah. gosh high five yay <laughs> no one can see the high five but yeah exactly that's me so that I love that though I love that about it but it can be a bit busy in your head I always say I've got to have someone to organize my files in my brain because I'm off on a tangent when I'm off that's it especially if it's something I'm interested in yeah you know it's like I'm I'm committed to them 100% to the core Yeah, I, I I could describe it as internet tabs opening your brain. I don't know if you have that. Yes, or not. exactly. I posted it like that. I, I posted with different tabs with the uh, the tabs at the end. A hundred percent. Yeah, they're always open. I, listen, you know, I've made computers or laptops freeze because I've got too many tabs open. Because just in case I've got that one open, I'll come back to that later. And <laughs> listen, yeah. that's my brain. That's that's what my brain does. <laughs> yeah. No, I've I've looked. Well, I still do it to a degree, but I've kind of. I put systems in place so I don't do that as much. Although even I mean, right now I've not I've got one, two, three, four, five. I've only got eight tabs open now. Oh, that's good. In that's the past, good. about forty odd. So yeah, yeah. You just it, the computer just kind of slows down. It's like whoa, I can't deal with this amazing brain. What's just got everything open? And you and you do achieve things. But um, yeah, it's 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 good if you can get some support, isn't it? It's good if you can have somebody who can support you with some of those things because there's some great ideas there all the time. Yeah. Um, if anybody, if if anyone could just see them, they are great. And they, you know, I I tend to sometimes my husband keeps telling me not to say this, but I like to take risk. I'm like, yeah, let's go for it. Yeah, <laughs> let's yeah, let's yeah. do it. Like, and then think about it afterwards. <laughs> what, the, what did I just say? And and I think that makes us really good business people. And why? probably was it 50 percent oh please don't quote me but it's quite a high percentage of I think it's from the CAS school <laughs> um what says you know that entrepreneurs are neurodiverse dyslexic and neurodiverse because that not sometimes by choice we come entrepreneurs but even in that some of us do because we can't work with others or we like so many varieties we've got all these great ideas and we put it into something and I don't and I please don't quote me on that about working with others just sometimes it's better to work on your own sometimes and then build your team up that way do you get what I mean because it's yeah. just 
it's easy for some people because some people have had really negative experience working in groups. So mm. that's why I say, I and I don't say it just like randomly, I, people have shared with me their experience and it seems to be common things that have come yeah. up. Yeah, I mean, that makes complete sense to me. I'm just thinking, well, listeners, I think they'll understand that. I'm sure they will. I mean, <laughs> just to me, because I'm, I, I don't, I wouldn't say it was a call. That, well, depends how you want to word it. It's kind of like calling or whatever you want to say. Yeah, like, your purpose, you found. Yeah, it. I sort of, there's no one in a million years I could go back to working for someone now. I just, it just, it's just, in, obviously it's possible, but I just, I just can't entertain that idea in my head at all. Um because I don't be the wrong thing to do. So yeah, I mean, it's not like you can't work. But you need. Yeah. Need Thank you. Own, you need your own system. You need not to be on your terms as so. I I do, but like it's not like you're selfish or anything. But you need to. The system isn't built for you, so you have to create your own system, and yeah. you can work with us as a result. I mean, we're working together in in a fashion now, obviously. So thanks Ben for just making it cover it up because I don't want anyone to think like I'm saying we can't work I love working with people I actually like people in the sense that um, I like to connect that's something that's in me but some people like are quite happy on their own and I think I find it hard when you know I, I'm not shared in my background I've worked in education for the last 30 years and I've also in my career experience when I was doing my MA in special education I was a TA and I absolutely loved it I did it for two years and I used to find it really difficult when people used to say but he's not looking or they're not looking but I'm telling you that's got nothing to do with you, you, you know, your intelligence. If someone doesn't want to look, it doesn't mean that that's the focus. Why are we focusing on that? We're trying to correct something that doesn't necessarily need correcting. And I used to find all of these things really hard because I think sometimes we can get set in our ways about what we think is normal. And believe me, if there was food or anything, my young person would see that. So for that person, you're not trying to focus on looking at. And we need to go to the person. We need to be at their level of understanding and try to work with them to see what works for them and what their strengths are and never never underestimate someone's abilities and sometimes that medical kind of comes into play I don't know how I got there Ben sorry <laughs> I've got off I've got off with a tangent I'm so sorry but um no, it's, it's all valid though it's all valid yeah, um, so I think it's about working for yourself and you know fixing people into set things I think that's where I was going with it but I went off didn't I just rein me back in rein me back in because we will be here for ages talking I'll just go off and talk about save the world conversations I call it the save the world conversations <laughs> no it's good it's good I mean I think it's it's good to listen to, um, good to speak about here as well. I think what we'll do then, we'll go through the questions and then yeah, uh, we'll go off where we go off. Um, no, that's, that's okay. Uh, um, so you mentioned dyslexia, obviously. You've touched yeah. on ADHD. Is there any other conditions slash disorders slash things, differences, however you word it personally, that you have, that you're aware of or that you, you think, etc.? The only thing I can say, I talk a lot. I I overshare sometimes, but I'm learning to have boundaries on that because I'm like, not that I think everyone's my friend, but I just get very comfortable, easy to talk and share and just be open. But oversharing is okay, but I've learned that it's not always helpful. And also trying to remember not to talk over anyone when you get excited and those kind of things. So those are part of my neurodiversity, which can be a daring and really really lovely to have but also I'm learning to become more aware how it might irritate people (laughs) um so 
as much as it's great I, I'm mindful but the thing is I'm a careers advisor and I've done counseling and things like that and I'm really good at listening I'm really good at empathizing but when I'm just being myself um, I kind of get a bit excited I'm very excitable in lots of ways I'm just happy in in lots of things and just happy being happy in happiness or whatever you want to so I get it comes through in every in the way I'm talking as well (laughs) I do get that yeah I think um yeah if you're talking about yourself or something you're passionate about etc then it makes sense why you then talk about it in the way you do but when you come to listening to others, you're not talking about yourself or your passions, you're helping them and you're listening to them. So therefore you can put that different hat on. I would yeah, you switch off. But it's interesting yeah. because I, yeah, so I'm just having to be aware. So if that, that's one of the things I've learned more about myself, considering I was selectively muting at primary school, where did this come from? The speaking for England, but then I'm shy, believe yeah. it or not. It's really, it's a contrast. People think, you're not shy. And I'm like, I really am. I'm really shy about things. But I think it's come from my early childhood as well. Like the, to, to, to keep myself small and keep myself not, do you know what I mean? But so in my head, but people are not seeing what I'm thinking in my head. So uh, yeah, it's interesting where you can hold yourself or limit yourself because of the things that you think. Um, so what I want to say as well, just to just put something in context, and I may have not said so, for, for, if people don't know, dyslexic is genetic. And um, my mum's dyslexic. I got her diagnosed when she was in her 30s. And my daughter's dyslexic. Um, so we're quite a neurodiverse family. I've got a nephew who's autistic. So neurodiversity is running really strong in our family. So, um, you know, I think another topic would be talking about being a parent and being neurodiverse and having a neurodiverse child. Um, it's got some real good plus, but it's also two neurodivergents together. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, it's not a conversation for today, but it's just, it's learning, it's being patient, all the things you would do with others and listening. But when it's personal in your, your family, sometimes you can slip a little bit and like, no, we're going to do it this way because that's the way my neurodiverse is working, but it doesn't mean it's working that way. But I've really been able to empower my, you know, my, my daughter um, a lot through my experiences as well, so she can find her voice. But what I've realised in it's still you know as a as a young person you still can have traumas and self-esteem no matter how much you because of the systems we have yeah that you don't feel that you can put your hand up because there's no time or those things I can't change them but all I can do is help them help my, let my daughter to be aware um and that I always be in a corner to speak to the school and it's it's a battle and so I, w- I won't give you too much, but I fought for two years to get a diagnosis for her for dyslexia. And um, in school, it's taken me four years to get her additional support. So even as a parent with a child with neurodiversity and you're neurodiverse, it's a lot because you've got to write things, you've got to email, you've got to do all these things and you have to show up if you can. And I think in my work, I've seen there's a lot of parents who who have possibly been masking or um it or have challenges themselves and difficulties and trying to support their children and there needs to be something there as well we don't talk about that much but again as I said that's probably another topic for another time but it's it's an interesting one because I've you know going through the process myself it's been in, it's been an interesting journey learning and learning to be kind to myself as well 
and yeah, no. I'm a bad parent or you know if I, I couldn't read do this piece of homework like maths no way <laughs> you know <laughs> do you know what I mean yeah I think it's worth bringing up that like you say you could talk in depth about that but I think it's, it is worth mentioning because it does add that different aspect and element whatever you want to say to it if neurodiverse and the neurodiverse child and that dynamic that in some ways you you get on a lot more but in other ways you might completely be the opposite where <laughs> you've got a strong set of needs and they've got a strong set of needs which are different so it's what do you do then that that's sort of dynamic I guess yeah yeah uh, so uh, with dyslexia do you see it as a disability Right, so it becomes a disability be for me because of the system. So the system makes it makes me disabled. Yeah. Does that make sense? So that's the bottom line. I'm dis disabled and will come under the Equality Act because of the structures and the infrastructure of our systems. Mm -hmm. So if we had more inclusive ways of learning, like as I said, if I could do my exams by talking and maybe put my references at the end, if it, if it was helpful, that would be inclusion for me. It would be inclusion for me to talk my essays on my laptop. It does happen, but I feel there's a lot of feeling that it's not the right way or we're hacking the system almost. I've always felt like a bit of a hacker. And yeah. that's the only way I've been able to navigate. Does that make sense? Yes. Is yeah. to find different strategies, like you said earlier, find different ways of showing up to be able to achieve the same as my peers but I'm just having to go a different way and no one sees that background work you have to do and I just feel like that's missing there's no the options are limited the extenuating circumstances I've had to put in to complete something because I couldn't get it done and the and getting overwhelmed and then you're working yourself up if you don't have the self-doubt or the self-belief that you nearly come to the edge where your mental health starts to go because you're triggering all those traumas because you feel you're not good enough, they can come back. And that's why we have to keep doing therapy or work to help yourself, to remind yourself you are good enough because that's how embedded some of those kind of things have been embedded or scarred you. And don't get me wrong, it's not that every day I'm thinking that, but you can have triggers. So to answer your question, do you see how I always go back, right? To answer your question, I feel... Is a dis I'm disabled under the Equality Act because of the, the structures and the infrastructures of our system that we have. I think that's what makes me disabled. I'm neurodiverse. And as Judy Singer, who coined the word neurodiversity, it's like biodiversity. Let's just think, you know, in if it's the cave time, whatever we want to call it, dinosaur time, you needed thinkers like us. Mm -hmm. The people will just go out there, do this and, you know, be creative. Think about the, the long-term project. We love a project. Well, I do anyway. Let me not make yeah. assumptions for everybody and develop that whole building because I visualise it. We needed those different thinkers, the logic thinkers. We all got a place. And it's a disservice when we're not feeling that we're being served and not having the right infrastructure and support and interventions so we can show up and be our best self. You've got aspirations, I've got aspirations, but they got dampened for me when I was at school because the structures to reach my potential to be a writer, which is what one of the things I wanted to do, I could never see myself, I never saw black writers, all the literature at school was predominantly just one way of writing, but you know, it can dampen you, it can really dampen your spirits and make you not feel, and as I keep saying, that we do grow up. 
so yes to answer your question because I'm going off again sorry about that so the, yeah it, it, I'm disabled by the systems what we, what we have in place so I would put that tick to say I'm I have a disability because yeah. I fit under that Equality Act of 20, yeah. 2010 yeah yeah I, I so those characteristics doesn't it those characteristics yeah. and all those kind of things so I fit under that so that's why I would put it for myself I know it's not everybody feels that way and I understand it too but it's because of for me it's because of the structures yeah that makes that makes me disabled yeah no I agree I, I sort of come to the same opinion real obviously I'd word it in different ways it is the same answer really so yeah it's, <laughs> it's um so I didn't mean that I, I would I would explain it <laughs> it's all right <laughs> I, I would I would probably I wouldn't say it you would say way. your way Ben you would say your way that's the best because yeah. we're different we're going to say it different ways, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, when I interview people on this podcast, most people say the same sort of answer. Um, not all have said that, which is obviously fine. But um, yeah, again, it's if the system was set up in a different way, then yeah, I mean, just I mean, luckily I don't have to apply for jobs now. But if I'm still applying for jobs and it says, do you have a disability? I'd say yes, because and because it's the whole messed up. If you put no and it's like, but you're autistic, aren't you? It's like, yeah. So you have the disability. It's like, no, I don't. But blah blah blah. So you just you sort it's of. It's long. Like, it gets it gets long and complicated. Yeah. And I know people who don't yeah. disclose at all because they've tested it out. They've tested the waters out. I'm getting a bit cockney, like a bit of a cockney. They've tested out the waters, and um, when they've put not put it, they get an interview. And when they've put it, they've not got nothing. So that's just their experience. But I've always disclosed. I'm putting it there from the beginning because I'm going to get my access to work. <laughs> you know, do you know what I mean? So that's me, but that's been me since I was 16 from the moment I knew. So my experience is different. I've not, ma I've not, been, able, I've not been masking so later on in my life that I don't want to show some of those things. I mean, it's, it can be really hard then. I wouldn't, I can't speak for anybody else, but I know from seeing the tears and the, the anxieties and the just people, some people's mental health, they don't want to disclose because they don't want the performance management. They don't want, they don't want it. Mm -hmm. And it's your right to not disclose if you don't want to. Some people get support outside of work to support them in work. And it's got nothing to do with access to work because they just don't want no one to know. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's your right. If that's what works for you. But I always disclose whatever shows up. I've just put it up in the front and they, there you go. And then I'm getting access to work and then you've got to then tell your, you know, your organisation what access to work is. That's another story, another topic again. But do you know what I mean? And I'm not saying that's always the case. It, we, the organisations are changing, but there are some organisations and charities and some, you know, just it's just like it feels like it, you feel like I feel like I'm an add on and I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a pain. I'm not a pain. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So that's how I stance it, but that's me. But I know it's taken me a long time to feel that way with some aspects. But predominantly, I've always, dis no, not predominantly, I've always disclosed. So, but it's just what bits of that I've become more and more sort of just open to saying, yeah, it's this and it's this and this. Oh, yeah, and it's just this and this. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so a few random questions now, just because I like doing that. Uh, <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> if you have one, what's your favorite color? I like I like red. I, I like red, orange, and green, like bright, luminous green, like a bit like my book. No one's gonna see this, but you see the colors of my book. Yeah, 
and I orange really suits my color tone so um I I wear orange but predominantly I've been wearing black so black is probably my top color but it just hides everything very nicely <laughs> it just looks you know smart but I like bright colors bright colors really I tell you what like when I used to go for interviews and I wear you won't see this but I wear headscarves if you ever look me up or if you see that I wear headscarves and colorful things if I was going to something that was really loomy I would wear bright colors because that would make me feel good so colors I feel you know they can be therapeutic but it also can have an impact on how you show up so colors for me are really important though I wear a lot of black <laughs> but um, I do like bright colors that's why I do all the wraps and stuff in my hair and my earrings and stuff because it just makes you feel a different way when you for me anyway wearing different colors so again I've done a long question to your answer what color I've gone with three or four so <laughs> um, Ben you've got to take it you've got to take it Ben <laughs> okay we'll um we'll go on to the next one then I mean that's it's I like asking that one because I find when you're diverse people I don't know this for a fact but just from my opinion I think the more like if you ask this is a little blanket thing, but if you ask a neurotypical person what's your favourite colour, I would imagine I'm more likely to get back an answer of if I don't know all that red or something, then that's it. <laughs> but the five universe people, and a lot of them I've spoken to, seem to have, there's a reason behind the colour. It's not just an answer. It's Yeah, 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 yeah. That, I hear that, yeah. yeah. So just on from that, and I normally ask this one if it's, autism or ADHD but you said you may have ADHD anyway which you don't know yeah 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 I haven't I'm undiagnosed I would say but definitely got a lot of the traits I've read it up and I did an online um test and it said I was like 70 percent or something like that so <laughs> so I was like okay <laughs> so but people keep telling me because of my brain how it speeds along and I'm I've, when I wake up, I wake up at four. That's it. I'm awake. I'm, I'm not going to sleep. And I've got, I've got 101 things ready on my head, you know, but that's just, it's not for everyone's thing, but that's something that shows up for me. And it, it seems to be very linked to ADHD. Yeah. Yeah. I could have traits, but it just, you know, just like I said, I could have traits of dyspraxia because there's no pure dyslexic. And I think those, we, they talk about the co-occurring, don't they? So like you're co-occurring with ADHD, ASD, um, ODD. So it, co it can co-occur and exist. And that's what makes it so complex, but so beautiful that we're all diverse in different ways. And so you can't pinpoint point and say, oh, you're particularly this because this is your, this is what autism looks like. No, you can't. You yeah. can't do that. It's not your primary, you know. Anyway, sorry, I've gone off again. Okay. <laughs> They're going to love this podcast because I'm keep. i going to think, I'm going off again. <laughs> but this is uh, a neurodiverse brain thinking. This is how it goes, especially when you're in a role and you're loving the conversation. Well, there you go. That's what it's all about because so you don't want you to not be yourself. So that's what it's all about. <laughs> um, so do you have any special interests or how have you may word that differently? Special hobby? Yeah, I mean, when I was growing up, I loved stickers. And I love stamps and I used to collect them. I wish I could find those. I don't know where they are, but I love to, I love particular, like putting things together. But what, what, what got me and what made me realize I had, I had a talent or not a talent, but I was good at things was sport. And, yeah. um, you know, there's a lot of us who are neurodiverse who are in sport and in the creative arts. Mine was sport. Sport also saved me as well as Jenny McWinnie, who was the tutor who got me diagnosed. But, mm -hmm. Sport saved me in a sense to show me I was good at something and it gave me the essence of team building, um, teamwork, communication. I've been a team captain. So I've played um, 
netball for my borough. I played badminton for my the county. So these things became like, I mean, listen up, Ben, don't tell no one, don't tell no one, right? So I was in bed with my badminton racket. And then what I would do is get the shuttlecock and knock it on the, to help my wrist to develop. I'm taking it serious. I'm about 100% in there, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, this is how deep I get in when I'm interested. So badminton was a big part of my life and still is. I've, I found a club now and I, I've gone back to play with all the osteo, because I've got osteoarthritis, with all of those other elements that I've got. I'm really pushing the corner. I like fitness. So I've gone back and started to work on my fitness because it helps me to give me balance and yeah. I also meditate so these things are real interest for me now as well as talking and speaking like you do or you know supporting or empower others that is an interest definitely my neurodiverse um, community and why I'm here today because I want to share and also have these conversations which are necessary um, so that's another interest of mine and being a real kind of activists so we want to say that you know like in changing the narrative and being thought-provoking by the things I talk about about representation race um, I think those conversations linked to bringing the neurodiversity into neurodiversity is really key so there's a few of my interests obviously you know <laughs> it's just a few but I hope you get a sense of yeah my madness of liking things and you know <laughs> yeah no no definitely I mean I think it shows your diverse strengths and how passionate you are about things like the badminton thing, how attention to detail and sort of how driven you are, that sort of stuff. So that all makes sense. I like the bit as well, where you, I don't know the exact wording you said, but basically putting like the neurodiversity into neurodiversity, how there's, I don't know which word. Yeah, the diverse, bringing diversity into neurodiversity. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. yeah. yeah I don't be sorry. It's a lot of I, diversity going on, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think that is actually... Um, a very good thing that putting the diversity, you know, that's I think that's very new, good. Yeah, putting the diversity into neurodiversity. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, so it was like a marketing thing, but anyway, um, <laughs> it is, and I, I think people have used yeah. it. Um. So I'm an advisory board on lots of different boards within neurodiversity, and I think we've used those kind of slogans, or yeah. I've used it. I've I've definitely used it in a lot of my quotes. Um, Oh, yeah, I forgot. So one of the other last things I like to do a lot of blogging, I, I have to limit myself now because it's almost like I'm obsessive. Like I like to post obviously useful information, but I realise I like it and I'm quite good at it to some extent. If that, And I don't like to say like I'm good at something because it makes you feel like culturally we always say you don't say you're good at things because it's like you're showing off. But it's actually one of my strengths. I like to post and share information so my first degree and I've got three degrees my first degree is information science so it's about information so I did firewalls internet web design and all these kind of stuff with my first degree so this is very fitting the whole social media that's come about so that's one of my other interests I forgot to ask you said I mean I've told you I'm going off track so that's another interest of mine I really do like social media but I have to switch off sometimes yeah, <laughs> yeah I can imagine yeah definitely um so the other random question is if you could meet any celebrity or famous person from the past um who would that be and why and you could pick more than one or you could pick Ooh, none i didn't realize it had the bit from the past because i was thinking that one's deep that one's yeah. deep i'd have to come away and think about that that one's deep because there's lots of people 
that I would love to have a conversation with. And also I would say my ancestors, like have another conversation with my grandma, my two grandmas, my mum's mum and dad. They're not famous, but they're famous in my life because they're part of my heritage and ancestral roots. I'd love to have a conversation as an adult. Now I'm matured and to say all the things that they shared with me, how it's shaped me because all of our experience can shape us in different ways, right? So that that's something I would love to know. Then I had... Um, an interesting one. I mean, it, it's an American person. It's a woman, um, um, Whoopi Gold. I can't even say her name. Whoopi Goldberg. And that's reason being that she's dyslexic. And as a black woman, I'd love to have a conversation with her, her experience. And I know she struggled in school. So that's somebody who's presently here who would be somebody I'd love to have a conversation. There's loads of people that I can think of, but that can't think of. When you said the past... Yeah. It's throwing it's thrown me because, yeah. my gosh, there's so many people that I would love to have a conversation with and they're not coming to my head. I just, and that's the thing, I have to visualise the person. I can't see them, but I know they're there in my head. Like, I, I, could, I could say, like, Bob Marley, but, yeah, that, 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 could, that would be a conversation. But if we're talking about neurodiversity, there's just, you know, there's a few people that just, yeah. I mean, the thing with our our field if we were talking about neurodiversity a lot of the people we still champion they're all dead or they've all passed and we want to champion the bends of you and all other people who are present and not to say we've taken away the past but we want to be who are our champions and who are the people whether they're celebrities or not because sometimes our celebrities are unreachable does that yeah, make sense great. and um yeah, they're great. great from a distance you know but you know but we they're not reachable you know Branson's not reachable you know people aspire because of the work he's done but there's some people and I don't mean to name his name I'm, I'm sure he's doing great work but I'm just saying for me to sometimes it's people who have been in my sort of tribe supportive and champion they're people I want to have a conversation with I'm, I'm I'm you know I'm really fortunate enough there's a lady called I don't know if you've heard of Angie Lamar before she's a, a comedian director playwright don't think so no. no she's dyslexic and um she was somebody I first saw on tv on the bbc and she had a show on there and she said she was dyslexic and she had and it was like oh my gosh another black person who's it is dyslexic because for me growing up I didn't have that kind of and representation is key what you see is what you be if you see people it inspires you if you don't see people um sometimes who look like you you don't feel like you know who are you and what's your identity again that's another conversation but I actually got her to be in my book and I cannot believe it so she's somebody I still would love to have a cup of coffee with or even though I don't drink coffee I drink herbal tea I drink her but you know I met somebody just briefly and she said yes to be in my book and that that just warms my heart so I, I celebrities yeah there are people I mean like I don't know if you know um, Judy Love no, another. Uh, she's a comedian. She's on uh, loose spinning, and I think I know him. I do know yeah, him. like she's dyslexic. Yeah, and it's a quite a few people coming up who are talking about being neurodiverse. There's a whole list of them. It'll be great to have a panel and have some of these people talk about it. And I think it's hard sometimes when you're in this limelight to really sort of show up and talk about your authentic. I'm not saying about Judy. So sorry, Judy. I'm not saying, but just saying generally with celebrities, I think sometimes it might be very challenging. I'm not in their shoes to know what you know 
what is you can say or feel comfortable saying I don't know but I just feel sometimes hard to hear those stories to be role models sometimes mm-hmm. and so it's the you and I sometimes and I keep saying I'm on the older side but the, the people come in we want to empower people to so that they can be the role models for others and that's what I want to do more than ever is to help people to be them be their true selves as much as they can be whatever that looks like for them and then to be able to help others because as I said the some of these children who are really affected within our systems do grow up to be adults and some of yep. your work maybe some of that work where it wasn't happening when they were younger and that holistic stuff so I'm not answering the question again I've gone off I've said names that people are going to say you said my name <laughs> and um you know but yeah it's just a difficult one because um celebrities are celebrities but we want people to come and reach out to us and communicate with us and have the conversation come on bed's podcast do you know what I mean and speak and share that makes it more real that you're more human and reachable so that we can see your journey and we know journeys are not always easy to share but it'd be nice to have a few of those to make it more the human side of how you've got where you've got because people want to aspire but sometimes can't see they can't see themselves in some of the things on tv even though we're getting some shows we're talking about it more around with your adhd and it seems more positive yeah i've noticed (laughs) a lot more on tv but i say a lot more because there was nothing before but there's there's a lot more than what there was. There's obviously yeah. still that much, but there's I'm noticing just just on low. I don't really watch the news, but if I happen to flick over something, I, I tend to. There's more about it. Obviously, there's still a lot of wrong perceptions, but it tends to be more positive now. Um, in fact, someone was on the TV the other day. I can't remember what it was now. They were talking about oh, what was it now? Was it? It was either autism or ADHD. I forget now, and oh, I can't remember what it was. Oh, it was um. Again, another thing, I don't watch this, but Sunday Brunch, uh, one of the family members watching it, and um, there was a uh, comedian on there, she's autistic, and she was talking about that for about five, ten minutes. Wow. Um, the presenters didn't know anything about it, really, and they were asking about it. So, yeah, so th- there is stuff happening, yeah. And that's why they need people, I, I, keep, I don't want to keep, I don't want to say me, but other people like us, who yeah. are in the experience like yourself coming into organizations and talk about their experiences part of what we call the dni and all of these kind of things the diversity equality and inclusion kind of kind of brand of um you know these are where the conversations to happen because like you said those interviewers didn't know much and not that you have to know everything but it's good to maybe they had some training or you know something within yeah. their organizations to just bring awareness and we've got um neurodiversity celebration week coming up um, and more organisations getting involved that way just to have a bit more understanding to, to I don't want to say educate, make bring more awareness within organisations because there are barriers in organisations. I do feel sometimes the workplace feels like school, but just a, bit, a little bit different, you know, yeah. in the structures, but it feels a bit like school. So you get told off or you get performance for you if you don't do the right thing. But what if I still get the results, but I just do it this way? Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we, we we yeah, that's it. We stopped talking. <laughs> no, 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 it's, no, it's okay. Go for you can add on to it as much as you want. Is yeah. Um, I'm just thinking of some of the things I want to mention. Um, yeah. Well, obviously, you've said you've got a book that did you say yesterday it come out? Did you say yesterday? Yeah. Um, it came out on the 21st. What are we today? 
Yeah, 20. so we came. Yes, yeah, so we came out the twenty first. This is the book. So I'm going to just um, say for the audience, this book is called Black, Brilliant, and Dyslexic. It's um, edited by myself, which I compiled it together, and I've got um, the forward page by Atif Chowdhury. Um, the colours are in it is pink, yellow, green, and blue. Um, it's got like block colours, and it's um, yeah, it's out from it's out from um, yesterday. It was released, and you can find it on Amazon if you want to find out more about it. And it just really is a raw account of twenty five voices, including my daughters, um, talking about their experience um, navigating whether it's entrepreneur, the school system, the education system, and just giving a real core, core little snippet, I would say, and window of some of their lived experience. Um, and I just, as, as, as we both want, we want to empower and you do it through your work and I'm doing it through my work to really get people to be themselves. And that's what I hope this book will do to educate professionals in the academic world as well. Um, and from the intersectional cultural lens. So, you know, there will be a cultural lens that you would have an experience that I won't have from London to, um, it's not North, um, you know, but, you know, yeah. so there'll be different, co- that, that's still intersectional, do you see what I mean? But mm-hmm. our intersections that relate is that our neurodiversity. So there's, this is coming from a sort of from the black cultural perspective, but we've an intersectional lens, but we've all got different inset- intersectional lens. And that's what's important to say. So, yes, it's about the black experience, but because I really wanted to, to provoke and say black people are dyslexic too or neurodiverse and you, it's not about behaviour or a young black boy, he's this and that. You, if you, I believe behaviour is a form of communication, right? And if there's stereotypes on top of that to say you're particularly, because you're this particular you know, colour or skin, you're behaving this way because of this, we never unpick or really delve closer to what those could be. So for any of us, if you were behaving, so there could be some reasons behind that. And we don't do enough of that work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, I'm going off. I've did, so I was meant to be telling you about the book, but that's yes. That's, so I've written this book. It's, it came out and it's with Jessica Kingsley Publishers, um, who are real niche publishers, publishers. And they do a lot of books on around neurodiversity basic that's their thing and that's why I feel really blessed and privileged to have got the opportunity to tell my story and 24 other people's stories um from a, a cultural perspective yeah now I think that really um explains the book and I, I can I'm sure a lot of people will be interested in that particularly like you say you've got different voices as well um I mean if it's just your voice that'd be fine but you've, you've got <laughs> I mean, you've got all Thank these, you, <laughs> but you've you've got all these other voices in there as well. So, yeah. um, different perspectives, whatever, different yes. outcomes, whatever. Um, so I think, yeah, um, yeah, just just for this podcast will be going out not today. So yeah, I mean, it will definitely be out, but well, the book's already out. So obviously, yeah, it'll be available um, when people listen to this in a few weeks' time as well. So yeah, um. The other thing I was going to say is obviously you've you've won a few awards. Um, I know you you said not necessarily like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Not talking about it, but you know what I mean. So do you want to just briefly explain about um, the awards you've won? Yes, yeah, so t- I got two awards last year, which oh, honestly it's it just breathtaking. I, I it always takes me back to being reminded that I wasn't good enough, mm-hmm. and to know that I got an award as being the top fifty woman neurodivergent for twenty twenty two. 
um, and I got the Adult Dyslexia Award um, by the British Dyslexia Association, um, uh, which was sponsored by TexHelp, which is, they do a lot of assistive technology, and I'm giving a shout out to them because they've been really kind to me and um, really been supportive of my journey since they've, they've I've clinged on to them since the awards, um, and yeah, those those awards, um, and I've been nominated for uh, like Stereotype Buster, and you know these things. They're they're important in lots of ways, but they that's not the legacy. That's the legacy, and the things I want to bring is to make change. Um, yeah. But I am absolutely grateful because it helps me just that little bit. As I said to you, I'm very not good at celebrating things, and I'm learning to sometimes just be still which is really hard for me I've yeah my meditation's helping me to do it to just be still and be in the stillness and to be appreciate every day and not just be in the rush of it but just to take a moment and to just breathe and that's what I'm doing with the book it's all overwhelming that you know from somebody daring to dream and not to give up that you know my story to where it is now is to to tell people never to give up and to ask for help if you can obviously I'm not the expert as you are Ben but just from my experience from um, I'm a qualified careers advisor and I always realize that some young people when I've worked with them never felt that they can ask if you find a trusted person that you feel you can say something to who wouldn't you feel don't judge you do ask because you don't know who they can signpost you to get your help and that's what I learned to do I learned to ask for help it was it took a long time to trust with, so, so you know you can be very vulnerable for all the experiences that you can have and um, I feel through trusting and learning to ask people it's helped me to get me where I am and also my own determination but um, yeah yeah so I just feel just never give up and ask for help where you can um, to try to find your that light or whatever it is your purpose your passions yeah yeah I've actually a message because there's so many people that still out there who even don't don't know about the neurodiversity or they uh, neurodiversity or they um won't ask for help and they don't feel they're in a position to do it they don't know what response can get back etc so yeah I think that's an important message um so um starting to sort of come, sort of wrap it up um yeah, it's been great a few, a few sort of things I just wanted to ask before is um well I normally ask is um do you have any sort of other than what you mentioned, any you know specific goals or targets or things within the field you're in and what what you wanting to achieve? I mean, you've already like I said, mentioned your book and other things you're working on anyway. But is there anything else that you think? I um, think I've got about another three books that I'd love to write. Um, from my lived experience working in Send, I'd love mm-hmm. to tell some more stories from our younger community because it sometimes feels like we're making it up but we know it, we're not, it is real, exclusion's real, and, um, you know, excluding children is real, and their stories need to be told, I'd love to write a story around something to do with that, and around mental health, but hey, I'm giving ideas away, let me stop talking about, but yeah, I've got a lot of other things I want to write, I love to do some more blogging, and love to, I love project managing, um, and doing projects, I'd love to be part of projects, and sit on chairs, and just, hopefully contribute to make change that's really my biggest thing that I really didn't realize this is what I wanted to do I realized that but I think through my lived experience and those the journeys I, I want to make it different for other people 
makes me yeah. feel a bit tearful because I cannot believe that I'm saying these things because I remember having so much in my head. Um, yeah. And I don't know why I'm finding it so tearful, but you know, like you're there, you, you, people don't believe that you can do better or be yeah. something. Yeah. And that really gets to me because here I am talking about it, saying this is what I want. But that little child and that doing that inner child work has really helped me to realize how lonely it was, but also how I've elevated myself to find a voice to be able to be here with you to say let's let's change it together let's work it's not just about I it's about we and you know we're doing this in partnership yeah yeah uh, that's no uh, that makes a lot of sense and uh yeah it's like I say you've gone through like many of us in different ways have gone through a journey and like I say if you if you imagine yourself how you were when you're younger thinking this is what I'm going to be like when I'm older sort of thing then I can imagine that flashback or whatever the yeah you just not yeah and you just never to give up and I know there are other children who are like this who are feeling like this in 2023 yeah I'm putting a date to our podcast but but yeah and I know we're doing that together because you're doing your bit and I'm doing my bit we we can't do everything and maybe it's not in our lifetime but we're surely making a difference yeah yeah, no, definitely. And then obviously the people you're what well, we're helping um will then have their own stories to tell and it'll carry on, hopefully in a better way. Um, the more knowledge and stuff we're, we're getting out there. So yeah. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you wanted to particularly mention before we um uh, No, just to never give up and um yeah, le- learn to f- if you can find your strengths and do that and if you can find things that you're passionate about do that and um yeah I think as I said before if you can find someone you trust and feel there's something up you know speak to them and see if they can guide you or help you or direct you to somewhere but just yeah yeah learn to love find love in yourself to be kind to yourself as well being kind I was so critical of everything of myself and I think kindness to ourselves is important yeah no I agree 100% that's a a good place to end it there because I think what we've said it before love yourself (laughs) you've got to accept yourself otherwise you know it's hard to etc so yeah I think that's that's a really good message to to put out there um well, thanks for being on the podcast, Marcy. Really appreciate it. Yeah, um, lovely to meet you, Ben. Hopefully, we will see each other again. Yeah, definitely. And um, thanks for everyone that's that's listening. We'll see you all again next time. Bye.